like, I know what it's like to be alone. Not just alone, to be lonely. And to, when I spoke out, how it helped a lot of people who were um, isolated. I that made it easier to be open about just about everything. And I got to tell you, it has, seeing it help so many other people, they're like, oh, I'm not the only one. Oh, there is someone now. This, it's okay to be honest about this. Okay, um, there there is, I, I know it's like a PC term now, but there is a safe space out there. I've noticed with a lot of, unfortunately with a lot of religious people, they, they kind of need to have all the answers. There's not a lot of comfort with um, uncertainty, right? So you need to actually absolutely have an answer um, of why things are the way they are. And when something or someone comes along whose very existence, without even trying, questions that they don't re they don't um, adapt their they don't adapt their narrative to the new data, they they punish that person or that group of people for existing, really. Mm, wow. They kind of force them back into, like either erase them or force them into a category that they really don't fit into. The Grow Dialogue podcast is a liberation project that explores equity, inclusion, belonging, conflict resolution, and culture in the workplace and beyond, including in our personal relationships families, and communities. Each week, my co-host, Mariella Marie, and I will bring you insightful guest interviews and artistic expressions curated to amplify emerging voices who are sharing practices that support society's transition to a more collaborative, just, sustainable, and liberating coexistence. We live during a time when divisiveness and polarization dominate the social, economic, and political discourse. In response to this reality, and empowered with the skills of authentic dialogue and systems thinking, I created an anti-oppression framework for social sustainability called Theory of Indivisibility to help illuminate a different path forward. Our hope is that these conversations and calls to action will ignite tolerance and empathy and provide guidance for our global listeners who want to actively engage in ending all forms of oppression while creating thriving relationships in the workplace and beyond. I'm Dr. Sunjata Sunjata. Let's grow dialogue. All right, Enth, what's up, my friend? How are you today? Uh, today's good, how about you? I'm doing well, doing well. So happy to have you here on the Grow Dialogue podcast. Uh, so happy to be able to share your story with our, with our, uh, our community, our listeners, our watchers, and um, you know, just, just for them to, again, just learn more. Um, as, you know, they, they've come, they come here to learn, and you know, we've been, we've had some really interesting guests. So I'm, I'm happy to have you a part of that, that flow. So again, thank you for being here. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Indeed. So let's let's jump right into it. I like to start out by, you know, asking our guests, who are you? Yeah. How do you, how do you define yourself? Yeah. Um, well, so the name is Anth Barfields. Uh, I've uh, been really mostly involved in social entrepreneurship, trying to help organizations and people who want to obviously make this world better, either in terms of better for humanity or for the planet in some way. Um, 
that's chiefly what I've been doing. As for who I am as a person, that's, I guess that's always a complicated question, right, to answer. Uh, I guess simply put, you know, born and raised in the United States, uh, joined the Navy, and got to see a good part of the world and realize just how much culture impacts who and what we are and how we identify ourselves. Sure. And then later on in life, biology impacted and informed quite a bit more in my case at least which is of course what we're here to talk about today awesome awesome so um let's see so with 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 thinking and, and leaning more into that um you know you, you talked about being in the navy and and, and biology um mm -hmm. one of the things that i've been curious about just from following you you know online and on social media mm -hmm. um is your education. Um, could you share a little bit about your educational background? Yeah, sure. Uh, went to public high school and I started out uh, considered to be learning disabled. So I was always like a few years behind and from K through 12 until like around 10th grade, when I was around 14 or so. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, one, a teacher noticed that that's not right. <laughs> so I'm in the wrong courses and what have you. So with her help, I seemingly did well overnight. So I went from all of a sudden being considered learning disabled because I'm dyslexic to being considered unusually gifted. So they accelerated me big time. Um, but, you know, like a lot of Americans, I did not come from a lot of money. So when I graduated high school, I, I was accepted to all these colleges. I couldn't afford to go to any of them. So um, I joined the Navy. I took the ASVAB, which is their placement test. I got a perfect score in that. They told me the only option I had was to be a nuclear engineer in tech. They was like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you're going to be doing. Um, and I got to tell you, I had fun. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I did well enough to get the NROTC scholarship to university and they wanted me to be a nuclear officer. Uh, unfortunately, the academic tests were fine. It, the medical was a little questionable and they I was honorably discharged. But by then I was already at Cal Berkeley where I was studying uh, chemical engineering. I was originally a double major for chemical engineering and nuclear engineering. And then, um, I switched from that to biomathematics, uh, but it wasn't at Cal Berkeley. By then, I was at MIT. Uh, from MIT, uh, I was originally, like, I was chemical engineer very briefly, and I realized this was not my passion. It was a useful, it's a useful branch of engineering to know because mm -hmm. it applies to everything you can imagine. But I was really more in the math at that time, and specifically biology, applied. Okay applying those two together so um i wound up doing uh biomathematics and unfortunately i was really really close to graduating but um i, I had to walk away for um for a variety of reasons because at the time i was i was actually homeless working 40 to 56 hours a week and going wow. to school at mit so all that it was wow. a lot to do and, uh, yeah, it was. But um, after that, I wound up 
getting a whole bunch of certificates and a wide variety of things. So I've, I've got certificates in biotechnology and data analysis and program evaluation. I can just go down the list. I don't want to bore your audience. Yeah. Um, and I found, you know, a great niche for applying all of them. Okay. To, uh, a, a wide variety of projects, because uh, along the way, I've met such a wide variety of people with really fascinating minds and uh you're one of them i i saw you online i read your art oh okay this guy's thinking he's not just he's not just here to exist he's he's actually uh, got a mind on him and he's he wants to do something that's useful so um using those resources that i've acquired over the years i've been able to apply it to a wide variety of things you know and i've worked for think tanks um, Idea Connection is probably the best known one, although I think they've recently been bought out uh, and worked for okay. the Mighty Group. I could go on and on. I don't want yeah, to so, <laughs> no, I mean, I find it fascinating. So basically, you went from being told that you were learning disabled until you were in the 11th grade, pretty much. Yeah. And then you ultimately ended up at MIT, yeah. you, you know, um, in, for, for undergrad at some oh. point in your undergrad journey. Yeah, it was hilarious because my, wow. my teachers at the time all but, well, a few of them, they liked me as a person because I didn't get in trouble, but they really thought I was um, slow. It, it, they couldn't see past the this exterior because I went to a predominantly white school at the time. So uh, it did play, race did play a factor, but uh, once I started acing the tests, that were, you know, put in front of me and to start making the school look good. <laughs> then all of a sudden they were like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, well, let's, let's help him out, you know? Um, wow, the politics and everything, right? Yeah, seriously. So, so, so even with not, ultimately not being able to finish up at MIT, um, you were able to go on and get certificates and things like that. So um, not having a quote unquote, what bachelor's degree or undergrad degree in any way, has that slowed you down? Have you felt like that's, has that been an impediment to your journey? Well, I do have a bachelor's degree, um, okay. but it's, but I definitely- Where did you get it from? You, you got it after you left? No, technically, honestly, I did not know this. The Department of Education has decided that if you go through the nuclear engineering program, it is the equivalent of a bachelor's. So I was like, oh, okay, fine. I, I'm, all this time I thought I didn't have one. It was best uh, from the uh, through the Navy going through that program. Ironically, wow. I, okay, I, I did not. It was such a surprise. I'm like all this time, I <laughs> getting creative with it. So I definitely had to uh, come up with uh, let's call them nonlinear approaches mm -hmm. to um, getting per, uh, professional jobs, especially the higher paying ones. Um, once the door got open and I started getting a reputation for being able to actually solve, at the time, technical problems that uh, other people couldn't, it, it, they didn't care. It was just my name and the references that I accrued. But yeah, okay. definitely starting, it was, it was a bit of a hurdle. Okay. So you, you also mentioned that, you know, a part of your work in the world is, you, you say, social entrepreneurship and helping people um, who are doing good in the world. You'd like to help support, amplify their work in some way. Um, I want to know, like, when when, and how did you get clarity on knowing that this was your purpose? Oh, that is a great question. And uh, 
it's um, it's a really intimate answer. Um, it actually connects to the teacher who helped me, right? So here I was, this kid who had this talent and this passion, and I was facing a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape, um, and I didn't know how to navigate it. I knew what I wanted to do, but there were so many roadblocks in my life to get there. Um, this teacher comes along, she was my math teacher. It was her first year teaching in the United States. So she didn't come with a lot of the cultural baggage that people normally come with when they're born and raised here. Uh, she and I, we put our brains together and we came up with a game plan to get me from A to Z. Uh, she was a champion for me. And I realized that's what a lot of people need. They need a champion. And I was like, okay, well, what can I do for, what can I do in that, in that regard, right? Sure. Um, I, after a little brainstorming and research, I realized a lot of things what people need is funding for their projects. Cause there's so many gifted and brilliant, um, projects out there that can do, that can be humongous game changers for addressing hardship and other things like that. But they're not, um, they're not, I, I say they're not capitalist friendly. So um, people are like, well, where's the profit in it? They don't see the social profit that we need. So I found grants and stuff like that for them. And, you know, I start building a career as a grant writer and then also start connecting with people who had other skills that um, these people that I wanted to see level up to the, ne to the next stage in life. Um, what they would need, marketing, legal research, business consulting, IT development, so forth and so on. Um, and it's sort of like, I used to say, um, you know, whoever we're working with, they're Robin Hood, we're their band of merry men, right? So we bring all the resources they need, and then we can get them to where they need to go. And hopefully they they will uh, pay it back and, and really do something great for this world to make it easier for all of us because we we definitely need heroes nowadays. Indeed, indeed. And I appreciate that, that, you know, pay it forward energy uh, behind your story that you just shared. Um, you know, so grateful that there are people out there who who are championing, you know, yeah. for us, you know, as we were on our journey. Um, so it's, it's amazing that you were able to encounter that. And it's also amazing that you've been able to say, okay, someone did that for me, so how can I multiply yep. those efforts and try to do that for many so thank you you know for for your work in that way um so man you've had a you've had a really really interesting journey and there's, there's some some other elements in your journey that i want to really get into um but i want to set the stage in the context for our theme for for this episode uh you're joining us during our popular culture theme mm -hmm. and when i think about popular culture i think about the systems ideas beliefs, social norms, et cetera, that the majority of people in society have embraced and accepted, or at least tolerate. And the Grow Dialogue podcast seeks to amplify the voices of people like yourself who have stories and initiatives that we feel like need to be a part of the larger popular culture conversations. And as times have evolved since I was a young person to being an adult, I've noticed that more and more stories, more and more, uh, truths or i guess uh there's just been more space created for um a wider understanding of all the different ways that people show up in the world 
And I'm, I'm really happy to be alive during a time where it feels like things are becoming more inclusive um, and people are listening and understanding and accepting people more. Now, of course, there's always people who are, you know, resistant um, to, 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 new, to things changing, resistant to uh, expanding their minds to understanding the possibilities beyond what they were exposed to when they were in their formative years. Um, but be, with that being said, I'm always excited when I come across people like you who are saying, hey, I'm out here. My story hasn't been told, but I exist. So let me give the listeners some context on what I mean. So, you know, I met you through a Facebook group and, um, you know, at least let's say I stumbled upon, upon your presence through a Facebook group. We didn't necessarily meet initially, um, <clears throat> but it was one day you posted something in this group where you basically, um, again, kind of told your story and you expressed um, some things about your, your, your sexual and gender, um, you know, realities that don't follow the norm. And, and, and honestly, it's not anything that anyone would know just meeting you or talking to you. Right. So you kind of took us behind the curtain about who you are as a person and you exposed me and I imagine all the thousands of people who read that um, to opening our minds to, wow, there's people like this who exist in the world. Oh, yeah. And then from there, I sent you a friend request and I asked if I could follow. And then, you know, slowly but surely we connected and, and, and started to develop a, a relationship um, through, you know, through social media, through the virtual world. So here we are. So if you don't mind, if you can kind of uh, cue the audience in to to that uh, article that I I'm sorry, that that post that you may have written, if you if you remember or just in general, um, you know, if you can speak to, you know, those things that I mentioned. Yeah, sure. So I've written multiple posts <laughs> about it. So I don't remember specifically which one that you're thinking of, but just in general, um, I am what is called intersex. And basically, from a biological standpoint, I'm neither male nor female. I'm somewhere, you can either think of it as either somewhere in between male and female, or neither of the two. Um, I am, there's different ways a person can be intersex. It can happen from, uh, it can be congenital um, through embryonic development, which is basically when you're still in the womb, you, something just is different about the way you're developed. It can be genetic, it can be hormonal. There's a lot of different ways that someone can wind up being uh, like me. In my case, it's, due to something called tetragametic chimerism, uh, which is specifically um, this, we believe it's a rare scenario. Maybe we'll find out it's not so much. Uh, my mother was pregnant with twins. She was pregnant with a boy and a girl. They, those the zygotes, they fused together to be one person. Uh, that one person happened to be me. I came out male presenting. So as soon as, as far as they knew, they, you know, the doctors were like, oh, it's a healthy baby boy. So I was a big baby, but I wasn't, um, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Uh, but as, you know, I developed, there was definitely some 
there's some peculiarities that seem like they're okay there there might be something going on that's a little bit different um i wound up like during puberty i wound up lactating to give you an example uh when i joined the navy that's when more and more clues were were coming about that something's it's unusual here so when you're in the navy and boot camp you have to do a whole bunch of tests that you normally wouldn't do one of the first things that was very obvious with my testing is that i had um a lot of extra uh i had extra organs and extra body parts that a person normally wouldn't have and uh, like i have extra ribs i have um i think the average person has yeah i think it's 26 ribs i have 28 um I have extra bones in my feet. I have three kidneys as opposed to two. I could go down the list. And that all seemed kind of peculiar, but no one ever put it together to think that these all had one can, you know, one source or root. Uh, it wasn't until I did a DNA test and back in 2006 as a, um, it, back then DNA testing was really, really brand new when it came to using it for ancestry. And uh, Boston University at the time they were they were looking for volunteers to do a DNA test to help black men find out what part of Africa their ancestors came from um, using what's called Y haplotype testing, which is basically DNA from your father, fathers, 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 fathers on down the road. Um, when I did it, I volunteered. I did the oral swab and everything. I remember coming back for the results and the lab tech, he goes, when were you going to tell us you're trans? I'm like, well, never. <laughs> Why would I tell you that I'm trans? Wow. He was like, and you could see in his eyes, he thought I was like in denial. Like, I'm like, I'm going to fool him. <laughs> right. I was like, no, I, I, was, I went through the Navy. I'm definitely, I mean, if I were, if that were the case, they would have spotted it, you know, right away and everything. He was like, oh, he, um, he was like, well, okay, we'll try it. You know, maybe there was a clerical mistake or whatever. So they did the test again. That one came back X, Y. What was interesting though, is that the oral swabs were very, very similar. Like they were siblings. So they knew they were both were mine. And then they're like, okay, I think we know what's going on. Um, this is outside the scope of what we're testing for. But um, yeah, you after you know after we do all our tests, it's something you may want to look up into on your own free time um, to find out. It's called a chimera, and I had vaguely heard about that term, um, I, ironically through my mother and one of my cousins. They had saw it in like a TV show, and they were like, "Oh, I think that's what Enth is," you know. So they kind of knew before me. <laughs> so, so your your mother did know that she was initially pregnant with twins, and then the eggs fused. No, she they well yes and no. So the doctors told her she was pregnant with twins, and then later on they were like, "Oh, we made we made a mistake. You're not." And oh, okay. So she just you know, it, it, plus she was huge with me. I was a very very large uh, infant. Like she, they had to have a cesarean with me. So. Um, yeah, it was it was just a, a very unusual uh, set of circumstances. Um, but anyway, so later on, I did what's called a blood flow cytometry test, and that's how they can really confirm if you're a chimera or not. And that that was the case for me. Um, and they put a lot of things in perspective. So you were talking about uh, 
you know, you, you were talking about, yeah, your biological sex, but also sexuality. Looking back, it made sense for a lot of things in my life that I was, it, there was no precedent as far as I was aware of. Like um, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, but usually when you hit puberty, you start being um, attracted to the opposite sex and what have you. In my case, I thought I was gay. I thought I was attracted to men or whatever. But when I got into college, and that's usually when a lot of people wind up experimenting, I found out that's not really the case with me. I found out it was only really my eyes and ears that were attracted to men. They, my nose and mouth, they were not. <laughs> and then I, to my surprise, I found out my nose and mouth were attracted to women, but my eyes and ears were not. So it's, it's wow, really, yeah. And I never heard of this. I um, now I can put in it. I can logically figure out that probably two of my senses are connected to uh, one of the siblings, and two of my senses are connected to another uh, the other sibling. Um, what also, about the fifth, what about the the last uh, sense? Yeah, yeah. So skin is indifferent. Uh, that's okay. the. Yeah, that's uh, and so like back back in the day when I was in college, we used to once we started figuring out what was going on, I remember uh, my classmates were trying to figure out how to problem solve it because to them, again, it's MIT, you know, so everything's <laughs> like a, a math problem. And, right, right. It just sounds like you just need to find some uh, like a trans man or something like that. That way you have the the scent and smell of a woman, but the visual and the sign. It was it was really cool that I had friends who were smart who did not did not have that type of they didn't come in with prejudice or anything like that they were like well hey let's figure out what's going on and how to resolve it you know so yeah it was a really interesting time in my life <laughs> wow 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 okay so this is undergrad years that you were figuring all this out um i mean the level of nuance i remember reading that in one of your posts when you said you know my my ears and my nose are attracted to the you know i don't know if i'm saying it the right the right two but let's I'll say I'm sorry, two of your senses were attracted, you know, to men and two of your senses were attracted to women. Um, that was so fascinating for me to read, like, wow, you know, that's a level of nuance and complexity in terms of like attraction that I've never heard anyone articulate. Um, have you have you run into other people who shared your experiences? I have not. I um, the closest I came to was a lady who she said it was the same thing, but after a few conversation, it, we found out she didn't. It's more like she's attracted to men. She just hates men because there can be a difference, right? You can be sexually attracted to to, to a sex or, or an individual, but not actually love them. You can actually despise them, and that was more the case for her. Everyone else, no, I haven't. I'm, I'm sure there's other people out there like me. I've never met them. I have a suspicion that there may be quite a few people who it wouldn't even dawn on them to articulate it that way, or they've never had the opportunity to find out. Um, because again, like I said, when I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian, conservative family. Definitely gay was a sin. So I never even, like I knew I had, um, attraction to males but i was never going to act on it so 
only thing I knew is like what you see. I never was even close enough to pick up a scent or, or a taste or smell or anything like that. So I was just going by the two available senses and they, and so for me, everything was saying, um, oh yeah, you're gay and you know, you're male. So a male attracted to a male equals gay. Later on, you find out you're not male, you're intersex. Then later after that, you find out it's not really sexual attracted to males all across the board. It's all these other uh, nuances, but it is sort of like that is scientific experimentation, right? You you get a lot of new uh, data points and you try to synthesize them to make a to get a, a keen insight of what's going on. A lot of times, what we see more often than not in real life is people they only work with the information that they already agree with and the information that comes in that is uncomfortable or they don't like they just ignore or throw out um, yeah. and i i'm not shaped to do that so yeah. that's one of the challenges yeah yeah because we're always evolving we're always learning yeah. um you know for me i didn't know about intersex people growing up um you know i heard the term hermaphrodite at some point in my yeah. you know coming of age but it was like it was never anything that i've really processed or understood like to what, um, you know, percentage of these people were walking around the earth, you know? Um, it was like, I don't know, they seemed like a a rarity, I yeah, guess. Like, like a cyclops or something like that. Yeah, yeah, just something that every once in a blue moon may pop up, but didn't give it any Absolutely. thought. Yeah. And as I got older and, you know, um, my awareness grew around differences in gender and sexuality and different ways that people manifest and show up in the world in these ways, I probably didn't come into these understandings in a real way until I was in my 30s. Mm -hmm. And but once that happened and intersex came across my my radar, I actually started doing some research and, and just looking it up. And I think somewhere I read that like one in 2000, and you, please correct me if I'm wrong, but like one in 2000 people are actually intersex. Do you have any any numbers off top that you know about? I do. Um, and the, the number keeps shrinking because testing keeps getting better. So back in the day, it was like one in a thousand to one in 2000, depending on how, because originally it was true hermaphroditism and there was what they call pseudo hermaphroditism. So what they call a true hermaphrodite was a person who had both, both external sexual organs, right? Um, and then uh, pseudo hermaphroditism it was somewhere in between. You had characteristics, outward characteristics of both genders, but you only have one sex organ uh, from one gender or the other. Uh, testing has definitely gotten better <laughs> uh, over the years. And uh, now they think it's actually really closer to about one in 150 people are intersex or somewhere on the intersex spectrum. Wow. Like, one yeah. in 150? Yeah, one in 150. Wow. To give you an example, I would not have ever registered as such 25 years ago. Because uh, they, they, it wouldn't even have dawned on them to like test for ovotestis or ovaries. For someone, who, I mean, you're born with a male sexual organ, you, you look male, that's enough, right? Um, and it's, 
it's it's useful and helpful for everyone not just not just in social ways not just to make um, humanity more understanding of, of the type of diversity is out there but it also helps on a personal level and on a medical one i do have to worry about ovarian cancer that's something that's information you want to have um no matter you over testes because i don't think you mentioned that to this point i do remember reading that yeah so we were familiar with testicles that's what uh, people with y chromosomes mostly uh, people with y chromosomes have there are some people with who are only xx that have testicles and then there are ovaries which is what we usually associate with um with uh xx individual uh, xx individuals uh, fe- uh what we would think of as female Ovo testis is a is a different type of gonad. It's it's actually has characteristics of both. Um, it is the way it looks. It, it looks to me anyway. It looks like a, a abnormally large testicle, but um, it isn't. It can be sometimes it can be ex- internal like a ovary. Sometimes it can be an external like a testicle. Um, a lot of times what you'll see is someone who's labeled male. They were born with one testicle and the other one, there's just like, oh, it hasn't descended. It's up in their, in, inside their body. But often that's not the case. It's not a testicle that's inside them. It's novo testis is what we're finding out. Um, there, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other nuances, but that's the general one. And I'm not sure... <laughs> level of your audience so I don't want to like yeah no this is this is this is I think you've you've given them a lot to to chew on (laughs) in terms of just the process um you know and what you're sharing and you know I appreciate the nuance because I think that just in general as a society I think that one of the ways that we move closer to you know the the liberation you know that I think that most people desire um you know is is moving away from uh I guess these these binary ways of thinking, uh, these very concrete ways of thinking, and really understanding that we as humans and most everything else exists on the spectrum. Oh, there, there is no concrete way of being anything and, and nature in general, like everything exists on the spectrum. And then even if something shows up as polar ends of that spectrum, there's a wide range in most of every other manifestation of, in this case, we're talking about humans, are somewhere in between. So this is why this is such a fascinating conversation to me, because I believe that, you know, um, a part of us getting liberated, a part of us getting free, a part of the world being more compassionate and caring for one another is expanding our understanding and acceptance uh, for all the different ways that we, we show up. And more importantly, most importantly, is understanding ourselves, you know, because you, want, you walk through this earth for many years with question marks about who you are. And, then, and we're fortunate to live during a time where there's answers you know, the science has evolved to a point where there's answers. Society has evolved to a point where we can have these conversations and have a baseline for them and some understandings. And, and let's say it's not everywhere in society, but at least there are, you know, places and spaces and people where people are open. Like you mentioned, your classmates at MIT who are open to accepting your truth and not trying to place you in a box of what they think you should be, but instead accepting you for who you are. So you know, very powerful. Um, so based on this, you know, one of the things that I learned in my thirties and I'm 43, but one of the things I learned in my thirties is this idea that 
you know, sex and gender are not the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but my entire adult life prior, entire life prior to then, uh, probably to like my mid to late thirties, I hadn't heard anyone parse the differences between the two. And when I look around in society, I still see that most people tend to conflate them as being the same. But when I think about people like you that are in the world, and also just the other knowledge that I've gained from meeting so many other people uh, who are on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum, it's opened my mind to understand that, um, you know, there, there's a difference between gender and sex. But here's another thing and I'd like you to speak to, in addition to speaking to that, it, it bothers me to know that for so long, people who didn't show up in the world as male or female distinctly and clearly, they were erased. Oh, yeah. There was no category for them. There's no box for them to check. There is no, I still don't see a box for intersex. Yeah. You know, I see other, a lot of places for gender and things, but when it comes to like biological sex, I feel like it, people need to have the conversation that you can be male, female, or intersex. So what do you have to say to, to a lot <laughs> so and thank you for um even providing a platform where, where this can be discussed because i've seen on very large platforms the wrong information that absolutely nothing that was connected to reality um to give you an example of just how diverse it is there is at least two cases of where a person is xy genetically xy through and through that is their karyotype. So they're genetically male, but they are born as a girl, which is the gender, right? It's not the sex, it's the gender. They're born, they're, it's the social construct, that's how they're treated, that's how they're raised, that's how they live their lives. We're pregnant. Actually, you're pregnant and gave birth to kids. So there, when people, people always laugh when they're like, oh, a man can't give birth to kids. And I know what they mean when they say a man, but I'm telling you, even as a male, as a biological male, that has occurred. And it probably has occurred more times than we can, than we've actually documented it. We've documented it. Let me, let me make sure I'm clear here. When you say this person was born XY, that means they were born a male. Or, yeah, genetically anyway. Genetically, did they have male genitalia or no? no that's where they. That's where the difference was. More, yeah. For so, in terms, so we determine sex. There's like a multiple factors, but the main factor that we determine sex, and you'll hear this with a lot of the conservatives or Republicans who suddenly love science, is that oh, if you have the Y chromosome, you're a boy. If you have an X, only X chromosomes, you're a girl. That's it. There is some nuance to that, but generally. That is how it works. Um, I, I won't fight that. But what they don't understand is that, yeah, okay, that's your sex determination. That's not your gender. Uh, you can come out XX, genetically a girl, come out fully male presenting. Like there is no idea that you were actually a woman or actually a female, I should say. You're a man the gender because that's how you're going to be treated right that's the social construct you're if they could come out looking like you identify I'm, I'm assuming you identify as a man uh interested in women be considered heteronormative all of that there's no hint whatsoever that they're actually are a woman or actually female anyway genetically um 
and vice versa. So, so in this case that you're talking about, basically all those things existed except for in their genitalia areas where they presented. They were, they had a, they had a vagina. Yeah. And even though they look like a man like me in every other way. Right. They had a vagina, womb, uterus, ovaries, all of it. But they were actually. Okay. <laughs> and they didn't give birth once, twice. Mother twice had no, she had no idea that she was biologically a male. And she's the documented case with, you know, and we try to extrapolate from documented cases how common it is. But the truth is, we really don't know. It's, um, sure, it's rare, but is rare one in a hundred, one in a thousand for someone like her? We don't know. Um, because yeah, yeah. the testing really isn't there for it. But yeah, that, there's so much diversity with regards to what you're asking about. And a lot of the times um, I've noticed with a lot of, unfortunately with a lot of religious people, they they kind of need to have all the answers. There's not a lot of comfort with um, uncertainty, right? So you need to actually absolutely have an answer um, of why things are the way they are. And when something or someone comes along whose very existence, without even trying, questions that they don't re they don't um, adapt their they don't adapt their narrative to the new data. They they punish that person or that group of people for existing. Really, mm, wow. they try to force them back into like either erase them or force them into a category that they really don't fit into. Uh, yeah, science on the other hand is, I well, I mean it can vary because it depends on the scientists. I will admit, but science on the generally it's always asking new questions and updating their answers. It's never like, oh, okay, well, yeah, this is definitely how it works and it'll never ever change because that's never the case. <laughs> it's always something new learned and then we have to refine our theorems and also our, just our general knowledge base of how things work. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and another element is that there's still so many people who are afraid to even speak about who they truly are because of the, the backlash that you just mentioned. Um, when people experience that cognitive dissonance um, around their reality and their beliefs being challenged by what's present in front of them. Um, yeah. You know, so, but that's, again, that's why we do this. That's why I think it's important for you, people like you to have a platform, to have a voice, to share your story, because you are very real. You are a human being. And, you know, I like, I'm looking at your, your, uh, your, your, your pronouns, um, which is another hot topic, has been a hot topic for the last few years around you know, certain people just refusing to honor this idea that everyone's not he or she. Right. And, um, you know, and, and then when I think about your story with the whole pushback around they, I notice you don't even have they, you just have any and all. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Can, can you speak to why you identify as any and all? I love that. <laughs> There's XO, thank you. There's two reasons. Um, one is that in a way I am male, in a way, I, so he applies in the way I am female, so she applies. Um, in a way, I'm genetically two people. I don't have 46 chromosomes, I have 92 because of being the chimera. So they apply. <laughs> um, and I, on the flip side, I know it's really complicated for a lot of people. 
And for me, it's more important that we have that conversation and they feel comfortable talking to me and I feel comfortable talking to them. I don't want someone feeling horrible if they use the wrong gender pronoun on me by accident. Um, and I've had that happen more than once. And I mean, they're like super apologetic and I'm like, it's okay, it happens, I'm not worried about it. So any gender pronoun works for me and all of them work for me. Um, that's for, but that's me, you know, it's different yeah. um, for everyone out there. And I think we're all trying our best. Um, some of us are, I don't know. I, to me, you need to start making, at some point you're gonna have to start finding allies <laughs> and not just enemies. And I do see some people weaponizing it on both sides. Um, and I, I just, I don't wanna do that. I want to see us all heal and I want to see, a, a, I want to be in a position where um, definitely whatever the marginalized group is, they have that, um, they have at least someone that can be the liaison between them and the larger group. And, I, and I'm happy to be that. And yeah. it's not just me, there's plenty of others. So that's basically why any and all is basically, it's me saying you can't get it wrong because depending on how you look at it, you're probably right. Sure. Wow. I mean, so you, the next question I was going to ask, I feel like you kind of spoke to it a little bit, but, you know, I just wanted to ask, you know, if you could share your vision for the future as it relates to, you know, this topic, you know, in terms of gender and sexuality and sex and just, you know, how it's all held in popular culture. Sure. Well, you know, it's so fascinating. In my case, I think if we do this right, the future will look a lot like the past which is so odd to say. Uh, gender was not as concretized in the in very past cultures as it is today. There, it's almost any indigenous population. Actually, I w I'm not going to say almost. I will say any known indigenous population. They had no problem with the whole concept of there being um, gender roles that were outside the scope of the, of the two binary bins, right? Uh, they may had different terms for it, sure. They may have called them uh, two-spirit or uh, Mejia or something like that, or but it was fine. And then if you look at, it's so weird, like if you look at a lot of mythologies, uh, they talked about intersex people they talked about they, transgender people and so many other things that we haven't even seen quite yet, but it's probably going to happen in the future, just the way science is going. Um, and it's so funny to me that a lot of times you can look at ancient mythologies to to get a good idea of what to prepare for when it comes to the advances of science says and how the not just the advances of sciences, but how to hold uh, how to uh, manage it and not be uh, overwhelmed by it in terms of, of from the societal aspect of it um i'm hoping to me i would love it absolutely love it if we can just get beyond all social hierarchies because that's what that always boils down to you need to be better than somebody else in the social hierarchy um if you don't care about that it's really really easy to let people be who they are as long as they're not harming anyone else Mm -hmm. um, it's really, really simple. The, and it's also, 
when when that's the case, there's um, it makes it easier and faster to to have these these newer breakthroughs and insights in medicine and psychology that otherwise it's going to take a long time to get to just because there's this um, this social taboo hurdle and this um, this hierarchical hurdle to get over to to get to those things. So it's really freeing up everyone in a way. At least that's what I'm hoping. I, <laughs> well, love it. I hope. I, we'll see. Uh, I'm doing my part the best I can. I yeah. Know. Yeah. No, I love it. It's a it's a it's a grand vision, and I, and you articulated it, you know, in a way that definitely resonates with me, and I'm sure it's going to resonate with a lot of our our listeners um, and viewers. Just around, you know, eliminated the need to have hierarchy, eliminated the, eliminated the need to have power over and control of others, and wanting to move into a space where it's we we exist in in relationships and and communities um that are that are rooted in power with and collaboration you know that's that's a part of my you know my vision uh for the world how i articulated it and i feel like you captured that uh and what you shared um so you know i, I want to ask you um as well as we get near to, to close if there's a story um you know when i think about you being brave enough to <laughs> speak publicly about your story uh, and about who you are and, and take that mask off and say, this is who I am. You know, is there a story that you can touch that maybe has inspired you, that continues to inspire you to not only, you know, live out loud and proud and, and owning who you are, um, and also maybe it, it may even touch on your your work, you know, that you do with Elysian in terms of wanting to support, you know, uh, people who are doing work in the world that you feel like is going to make the world a better place. Is there a thread of a story or something that, that you know, motivates you in this way? So, um, I, I gotta tell you, I am, uh, I was recently diagnosed as autistic. So sometimes I don't pick up the, I take things way too literal. So when you're saying story, are you talking about an overarching theme or actual a literal story that? Um, it could literally, a story could be, um, yeah, it could be either or. It could be like a, okay. you know, some, some, some person in history's story or it could be, you know, you read a book and it's something in that book, that story that motivates you, that drives you, that gives you this, this courage, um, you know, or it could be an experience, you, a story about an experience you had. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay, so there's thank two. Thank you for asking. Yeah, thank, and thank you for explaining. Uh, yeah, so there's actually two in my case. One is I grew up, I learned how to read from reading the X-Men comic books as a kid. And... I was so young when I first started reading that I was probably still at the age where you can't really distinguish reality from fantasy. So for me, reading about this school where you can have a classmate with blue skin and a tail and another classmate that's over almost seven feet tall and made out of metal and you know, and you get along, no one cares. <laughs> that truly did impact me. Um, a lot growing up in, in multiple ways because at, at the time the comic book was way ahead of its time way more socially advanced than anything you would see on tv even today um that's a good uh, one yeah and then a real life story unfortunately it's not a great story uh, i was kind of glazing over it but i actually i didn't drop out of mit i got kicked out i uh, at the time i was I was dating someone who was definitely gonna flunk out. And so I um, I took their test for them so that they could pass. And they did pass, but they weren't 
bright enough to understand what the how they handle the um the follow-up questions so it all it was a house of cards that came cr uh crashing down um but from that the reason i bring it up and what i say that is when it came out that was so hard for me to, to be honest and forthcoming about that like i had to explain that to my family and they were like you know i was the first generation to go to college and then you not only the first generation to go to college during mit which is at the time considered or probably still is considered one of the best schools on the planet and it just seemed like you know i just let everyone down and i was like you know what okay it can't get worse than this so i need to just be honest about everything and i just lay it all out and i let the pieces fall what they may and i gotta tell you it got really ugly um for a long time and i understand why a lot of people even to this day right now they're in some private closet it may not be sexuality it may be something else you, you, i wouldn't even think of it could be their finances or you know maybe they're secretly broke or they uh, some tragedy happened they don't want the world to know about i just remember deciding that you know what i know what it's like to be alone not just alone to be lonely and to when i spoke out how it helped a lot of people who were uh, isolated. I That made it easier to be open about just about everything uh, with regards to me. I mean, of course, there's still things that I keep close to, to the vest, but generally speaking, uh, that was the, um, the precipice for me to be open about a wide variety of things. And I gotta tell you, it has, seeing it help so many other people they're like oh i'm not the only one oh there is someone now this it's okay to be honest about this okay um there there is I, I know it's like a pc term now but there is a safe space out there you know and it's been great I, i've i've been able to help people in their late 70s be honest finally for the first time and just say wow. out you know and it's been awesome i, I love it um wow. it's I love it. No, those, those are two great examples and such a powerful story. Oh, I'm so glad that that came out and that you were able to share that. Um, so as we, you know, wrap it up, if, are you able to share with, with our listeners and viewers, you know, how they can follow your work, uh, where they can learn more? Sure. Um, I am not huge <laughs> on social media, but you can, I am active at least on Facebook for the time being. So um, I'm the only Anth Barfields that you will find on Facebook. Um, I'm always a seahorse as a profile pic. Um, you can fo also follow the organization that I've been talking about that I uh, co-founded to help um, lift up uh, people who I, I personally think they're gonna be the, the superheroes we need going forward and the organization is called Elysian Trust. I will spell it. It's E as an Echo, L, L as in Lima, Y as in Yankee, S as in Sierra, I as in India, A as in Alpha, N as in Nevada, and then trust.org. Uh, we're also, we have a public page on Facebook that's very active. Um, you can definitely follow us there. You'll learn a I, I'm more about what we're doing rather than about me personally. So you'll definitely see more like the, the success stories and the things we're working towards and the things we've accomplished already and um, 
yeah, I'd love to hear from you. You can also email me at nth at allegiantrust.org. Um, I'm very fast to respond to emails generally <laughs> there, um, unless I'm, you know, battling a, a virus or something. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll put all that in the show notes. So no worries, uh, uh, but I appreciate you spelling it out, but we'll definitely oh, drop it in the show notes. Of course. Yeah. So that, no, yeah. And, and, uh, and we'll go from there. So, wow. Such a powerful, uh, show, such, such amazing, you know, information was shared. I'm so grateful, you know, for your time once again, Enth, and, uh, you know, just, 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 just much gratitude and, and also just wishing you continued, you know, growth, evolution and success as you continue to make a positive impact in the world. And to, to all of our viewers and our listeners, uh, thank you once again for carving out some time to be, to be with us. And as always, until next time, I love y'all. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Grow Dialogue podcast. Remember to join our Grow Dialogue community to continue the conversation, activate authentic dialogue, and to get exclusive content, discounts, and special offers on curated artwork and music from independent artists from the Americas. Check out our show notes for more info and visit www.growdialogue.com to join our live events. Don't forget to support us on Patreon. We really appreciate your support.